In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Eternal Father, you called St. Philip the Evangelist to open his mouth and beginning with Scripture, tell the good news of Jesus Christ. By virtue of our baptism, we too are called to work for the salvation of souls. Instill in our hearts the zeal of St. Philip, that we may convert hearts and minds to your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, we are here with Ralph Martin, and we are going to be discussing his latest book, A Church in Crisis. Uh, my name is Luke Arredondo. I'm the Director of Faith Formation here for the St. Philip Institute of Catechesis and Evangelization. I am joined by Deacon Keith Fournier and, of course, Bishop Joseph Strickland. Um, so we are really excited to have Ralph here. I'm going to let Deacon Keith give an introduction to, to Ralph because he's known him a very long time and is the most fit, uh, most qualified to do that. So tell us about who Ralph is. It's wonderful to see you, Ralph. And I was asked when I walked in how long I've known you, 40 years, maybe even more. And you have always loved the Lord with heart and mind and strength. You're a man in love with Jesus Christ. You proclaim the gospel without compromise and the teaching of the Catholic Church in its fullness. You guard the deposit of faith. You've always had, I believe, a prophetic gift, a capacity to see things that other people don't quite see and help us to see them, but always keeping that evangelical joy. Now, Dr. Ralph Martin is an accomplished scholar with his doctorate from Rome, but he's always been a passionate disciple an evangelizer, and someone who is waking the church up. I remember reading Crisis of Truth. I think that was 1982, right? That's, that's right. Yeah. That's right. And, you know, it was so powerful, and it, it really opened people's eyes. And I, like you, and you mentioned this in Church in Crisis, you know, I guess I was deluded because we lived through the magnificent pontificate of uh, Pope St. John Paul II, and now Pope Emeritus Benedict. And I thought we really had secured the ground. And a lot of what you brought up in Crisis of Truth, boy, just as you said, it was secure now. We've gotten back to dynamic orthodoxy. But then all of a sudden it became obvious that wasn't the case at all. And some of the oldest errors are coming back with a vengeance. And you talk about them all in the book. But Dr. Ralph Martin is also a wonderful husband and a father, now, I don't even know. Is he a grandfather? Oh, yeah. Yes. I, I have 19 grandchildren. 19 Whoa. grandchildren. Yeah. That He's is just wonderful. Yeah, you're... Okay. Yeah, six did six you. children I and 19 grandchildren. Yeah, I only have seven <laughs> grandchildren, but God bless you, and he is a great speaker. I can remember back in the early days of the Steubenville Miracle when you and my dear mentor and friend, Father Michael, worked together so profoundly in the fire ministry and in the early conferences. You've aged well. You still have that light of life. But I think, Ralph, I, I really believe this. This book is so profound, it's going to do more than wake up. You also give us the path forward. And I'm hoping that as we go forward in this podcast, not only can you point out where the crisis points are so they can be exposed and opposed, 
but then you can lead us on that path forward. So Dr. Ralph Martin is a gift from God, not just for the Catholic Church. That's another thing. You've always had a passion for Christian unity, and you've worked with Christians across the confessional spectrum. And I think that is also a particular gift that you have, and I honor you for that. So I'm happy you're here, and I'm thrilled that Bishop gets a chance to, to meet you. I came here a little over a year ago. Lorene and I moved here at his invitation, and I'm so honored to really just even hold his arms up. He's a great man of God, and you're a great man of God. That was a great introduction. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, I'm really uh, feel very blessed to be able to meet Bishop Strickland because he's been one of the rare voices that are sort of telling the truth and it really telling the truth. That's what I would say about the condition of the church and what the truth of the faith is. And that's so important today. Well, thank you, um, Dr. Martin. It's uh, it really is a, a crisis, but I think we'd all agree that the clarification between darkness and light, there's, there's a, an opportunity there as well because I'm 62. I won't talk about anybody else's age, but we're probably all about in the same ballpark except this young guy. Um, and in my lifetime, there's been a lot of gray. And as, as Dr. Luke mentioned, I think we're, we're seeing the, the fruit of that, if you can call it fruit, the spoiled fruit of not paying attention and not teaching well. There's so many different issues. Um, really, I'd be interested in... Uh, it, it's probably a tough question to, to answer, but I'll ask it anyway. What would you say is one of, I know there are more than one, but one of the key foundational elements of this crisis that people need to wake up to? Yeah. Well, in chapter one of the book, I, I lay out the whole range of things, which even people who have been very, very close to these things have told me, they never saw it all put together and to see yeah. how deep and pervasive it is. But then chapter two is titled, Is There a Solid Place to Stand? Yeah. You know, is there a solid place to stand? And I think it begins with scripture. I think a lot of Catholics are very fuzzy about what the Catholic Church really teaches about how we should approach sacred scripture. And uh, in, in that chapter, well, even, you know, you have in Rome, the head of the Jesuits, kind of like what he's being interviewed about, marriage and divorce, uh, he said, well, you know, this is what we think Jesus said, but were you there with a tape recorder? We don't really know what he said. And, and, you know, once you put a big question mark over scripture like that, anything goes. You know, yeah. if there's no authoritative revelation that God has made to us, it comes to us, the scripture tradition and the magisterium of the church, anything goes. And that's what's happening. So I, I really try to do in that chapter, tell them Vatican II teaches in the Constitution of Sacred Revelation this, section 11, everything asserted by the sacred authors should be considered to be asserted by the Holy Spirit and to teach faithfully, firmly, and without error those truths which God wished to consign to the sacred writings for the sake of our salvation. Amen. So this is there for our salvation. You know, and uh, what, what Jesus says and what the apostles say is the whole foundation of the church. And that's what's carried forward in the sacred tradition. And that's what we find in the catechism of the Catholic Church. I also tell people that they're nibbling around the edges of the catechism right now, but they haven't taken any big bites out of it. And, you know, uh, if you want to know what the church teaches, the catechism is a reliable guide and it carries forward what scripture reveals. Yeah. 
One of the things I really enjoyed about this book, uh, Dr. Martin, is the way that throughout it, you don't try and propose any sort of radical or new or fancy solution that you have so much ingenuity, you've got the magic bullet that's going to get us out of this, but you're constantly pointing us back to those those realities, sacred scripture, sacred, tra- sacred tradition, liturgy, authentic spiritual lives that are cultivated in virtue and, and, and forming an authentic Christian character and vocation. Um, I think that that is really, really helpful, that you, did, you didn't try to paint a bleak picture and then say, you know, I've got the plan here to get us out. The plan's already there. In a certain way, we already know it. Um, and in that in that chapter, is there a solid place to stand? I, I really like the way that you say that there is room for historical critical scholarship of the Bible, but it's there to help us and not veil the meaning of the Word of God from us. And I thought that that was a really profound insight because uh, it it is not we're not trying to say that we're some sort of fundamentalist, but that we, we really believe in an authentic interpretation of Scripture that is, of course, guarded by the magisterium. So I, I, I really was uh, just so happy to see how often you came back to those, those, those three realities of Scripture, the tradition, um, and the magisterium. Yeah. Well, on the most important issues that most affect our salvation, Scripture is super clear. You know, like, for example, yeah. the whole area of sexual morality, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul says, don't let anybody deceive you. Right. The immoral will not enter the, the kingdom, kingdom of God. And the uh, word that's translated immoral is actually porneia, and, and the mm-hmm. new translation that's going to come out for the New American Bible, they're going to translate it as sexual immorality. And it goes on to be specific. The fornicator, the adulterer, the person who engages in homosexual activity, the thief, the robber, the drunkard, the idolater, will not enter the kingdom of God. So what could be clearer? What could be a clearer assertion, assertion of Scripture? And it's nice, not an isolated text. You know, Galatians chapter 5 says, uh, those who do these things will not enter the kingdom of God. Ephesians chapter 5 says, the impure person will not inherit the kingdom of God. And because of this, the wrath of God is breaking out against the world. So, I mean, Revelation 21, you know, the fornicator is going to be thrown into the lake of fire. Now, this is shocking, but it's shocking. It's trying to shock us out of our blindness is trying to shock us out of our rebellion it's trying to shock us out of our arrogance and pride it's trying to shock us into salvation and ralph i I really appreciate that and and one of the things that really has impacted me from your book i haven't finished it yet but i did read the part where you're talking about scripture and that real effort uh, a concert a concerted effort to bracket scripture, mm. and I, I like that word because it's a it was a new realization for me. I've been a priest 35 years, and certainly I know that you look at the lectionary and there's certain sections left out. Um, and I I gave a homily already on that and said we have to be very careful because certainly that applies to scripture, but I think in a very real sense there's a tendency what we're dealing with in the church is more than a tendency, a real effort to bracket out the hard things, the cross, yeah. the suffering. I mean, today's Mass, the, the reading was from Revelation talking about the Lamb. The, the Lamb of God died, was sacrificed, and it's like we're trying to bracket out all the things that may challenge us. And for myself personally, and as a bishop, as a disciple, and for all of us, that's exactly what we need to look at. Uh, I love to yeah. 
to have a book that said, these are all the things that have been bracketed out. And we're going to find the tougher words right there. Yeah. You know, I, I really agree. And just just the other day in, in, the, in the liturgy and the liturgical readings, they bracketed out so much, you know, of, of the consequences of not using our talents or not welcoming yeah. the king. Right. You know, and it, one day we had a meeting with Archbishop Ignoran at the seminary where I teach. And I asked him the question about the bracketing. And he said, sometimes he thinks it's genuinely to shorten a really long reading, you know, like a really long genealogy. But he says, sometimes, unfortunately, it looks like they're shying away from those truths that the culture doesn't want to hear that we're afraid to upset people by. And that's really, that's really terrible. You know, if that's happening, that's really terrible. And it looks like it is sometimes even in the shortest readings, they'll bracket out the conclusion of the parable where people are in the outer darkness, weeping right. and gnashing and gnashing their teeth. Like they're trying to, mm-hmm. they're trying to bracket out, they're trying to bracket out the consequences of not responding to the mercy of God and pretending that because God is merciful, all we have to do is kind of eat, drink and be merry because God's so merciful, nobody will ever go to hell, which is a total falsehood, total falsehood about what the Lord told St. Faustina, you know, right in the middle of the divine mercy revelations, the Lord takes her on a, sends an angel to take her on a tour of mm-hmm. hell. So nobody would presume on God's mercy and realize that there has to be a response to mercy. There has to be faith. There has to be repentance. There has to be a change of life. <clears throat> and these are, universalism is one of the isms. You talk about several isms that have reemerged with a vengeance, yeah. proportionalism, consequentialism. You know, these are things that I thought, I thought, particularly with Splendor of Truth and the Gospel of Life and the whole magisterium of John Paul and then Benedict and this you know, beautiful, beautiful instruction that we really had re-secured the ground. But my yeah. goodness, it's like an old uh, monster from a horror movie that just won't die, <laughs> just keeps coming back. Yeah, yeah, I, I, do, I do think about, but I've heard about a horror movie where somebody says, he's back, <laughs> and, and, and it's back. And now, yeah. it's shocking because it must have been hiding underground. Yeah. I mean, there must yeah. have been a lot of sure. people that didn't like what was going on with John Paul II and Benedict and were just biding their time. I, one of the motivations for this book is I was invited to give a theological paper at Georgetown University yeah, on the 50th anniversary of Vatican II. And uh, some graduate students in Louvain, uh, the theology department there, kind of importune their chairman to invite me to give a talk because of my book on uh, Will Many Be Saved, what Vatican II actually teaches. And uh, it was quite a remarkable, eye-opening experience. It was like the whole atmosphere was happy days are here again. The spirit of Vatican II is back. Now, at that point, I had no idea what was going to happen under the pontificate of Pope Francis. You know, I was excited about his poverty. I was excited about him driving a Ford Focus. I was excited about him living in, you know, the the guest house. I thought that was really cool, reaching out to the peripheries, (laughs) all that kind of stuff. But uh, the keynote speaker was Cardinal Casper, who was such Mm -hmm. a strong influence on the synods of the family and really wanted that loophole there, which has caused so much controversy in the church about the possibility of married and divorced people who don't have an annulment receiving communion. And uh, he was the keynote speaker. But the other speakers were Father Charles Curran, yep. yep. who is uh, leading Talk the Center on Humanity. <laughs> yeah, 
And, you know, he had to leave Catholic University because he led the dissent, which had such a terrible effect on the church. Yeah. And went to Southern Methodist University, Father Roger Haidt, Father Peter Fon. All these theologians that were corrected by the Congregation for the Doctrine of Faith were back and, like, sort of celebrating, like, they knew something about what was going to happen that we didn't know. And so when COVID hit, uh, I, 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 all my travel was canceled, and uh, I really had a chance to do this book. And uh, so it's one of the silver linings, you know, for me at COVID. Yeah. But uh, something was really up that other people knew. It made me give credence to the whole St. Gallen theory of yeah. orchestrating the conclave. So. No question about it that Pope Francis is a legitimate pope. No question about it. He says a lot of really good things. But I don't know why he's tolerating so much confusion and division and why he's allowing contradictory interpretations by whole bishops' conferences to go. Well, and, and I just read in the book uh, the whole question of liberation theology. And I remember the the image from i guess the news or but i remember the picture of john saint paul. john paul ii wagging his finger <laughs> in the face yeah. of the priest there and the the liberation theology is is sweeping the church again and and the key issue that i have is it has nothing to do with the salvation of souls right. it's all about yeah. this world and yeah. that's not liberating from anything, ultimately. Uh, and that's yeah. what really troubles me that you capture in the book, that we're more and more. And I've actually had brother bishops that said, you know, Joe, you need to you need to calm down on the liber the salvation of souls. We've we've got to worry about borders and all these things that we're so concerned about. I didn't sign up to be a social worker. And that's what we're many priests and <laughs> mm. bishops are much more into the social worker world than being pastors and telling people yeah. turn from sin and live the gospel. And yeah, so it's frustrating. Wow. Yeah, praise the Lord. You know, to hear a bishop say that is really, really great. But uh, you see why yeah. I moved here. And it, <laughs> yeah, and it isn't. It isn't. I do, and it isn't like Catholic social teaching isn't important and valid. It, I mean, our our love for humanity means that we want justice for people we want a clean environment we we want economic equality for people and things like that we want good things to happen for people but uh what's been happening in the last couple of years seems like more and more the emphasis on indeed improving this world and some of the alliances that the church is now making with secular agencies that are population control agencies and bringing in experts who are in favor of abortion bishop sarando has invited Jeffrey Sachs, who oh, is one of I the leading proponents of abortion and reproductive health and sex education for young people, 20 times to, to lecture, you know, at, at, at official Vatican events, you know, and his chief funder is George Soros. And so, like, what are we doing? You know, uh, it's it's giving the impression that what really matters is this world and and. You might even yeah. say a socialist revolution. They have let the elites rule, you know, that type of thing. Let's break down national borders. And then you have a cardinal who was just made a cardinal right after the Amazon Synod getting up and giving a speech. And it was headlined in the Vatican newspaper, saving the Amazon is saving the world. Wow. No, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> it's not even saving this world. But uh, when it, when it looks like, the church is putting more emphasis on social progress rather than 
the eternal destiny of human beings, it's it's something's gone wrong, you know. And and yes, we're we need to hear again the cry of the apostles of Saint Peter on the day of Pentecost: Save yourself from this wicked generation, escape the wrath that's to come. You know, you know, it's like the judgment of God is coming, the chastisement of God is coming, and we need to get people into the ark. We need to get people into Jesus right. and into the church. See, and Ralph, that's been characteristic of your ministry for decades: the centrality of Jesus Christ. People turning away from sin so they can turn toward him. And that's really what's missing right now. I mean, even the efforts to use uh, the social teaching of the church, which is wonderful, but they're misusing it. They're not presenting the authentic social teaching of the church. We've got the compendium now. Very few people are quoting it, but it's wonderfully done. Instead, they're pushing another gospel of sorts. And it's not yeah. even a gospel, it's a counterfeit. And yeah. Jesus is very rarely mentioned. And people encountering Jesus Christ is what yeah. is going to help them turn away from sin, avoid hell, and turn toward holiness and freedom and joy and happiness. And you yeah. make that very, very clear. And that's what's missing more and more and more. And there are very few bishops like Bishop Strickland who are preaching. You know. He, he often, Bishop, you should share this. You often talk about uh, at your ordination as a bishop, you were charged to guard the deposit of faith. Can you share about that? Well, really, Ralph, I think that obviously the deposit of faith is in trouble um, in a sense. I mean, I think we always have to remember, and we need to know the long history. I, I tell the staff here that we're in the marathon. We're not in a, in a sprint. This is right. a long-term, certainly um, we don't want to have to live our entire, the rest of our lives. And certainly uh, Dr. Luke with a beautiful young family of children, we want a better world for them. Um, but guarding the deposit of faith is one of the, the promises that really has just resonated for me as a bishop. Every single bishop, it's part of the ordination. Will you guard the deposit of faith? And I didn't mm. see a lot of that happening at the, the recent yeah. meeting. Uh, we're worried about yeah. a lot of things, but the deposit of faith sort of gets left to the side. And yeah. we, you know, I, that's when I, I really feel like I'm on a, a, a mission to guard the deposit of faith. And it's so necessary, obviously, from what yeah. you point out in your book. Yeah, Th thanks be to God. You know, uh, all I'm trying to do in my life and work is to faithfully pass on to the positive faith. That's right. Not add to no. anything to it, not take anything away from it. I just want to be in the center of revelation. I don't want to be to the left or the right. I want to be in the radical center where Jesus is the Lord and, and he's king. And are, we're so eager to hear every word he speaks and obey it. I, I think of uh, St. Paul's warning. If an angel comes to you That's and preaches right. a different gospel, don't believe him. And at the end of the book of Revelation, it says, woe to those who add anything to this revelation or takes anything away from it. So I'm trying not to add anything or take anything away. I'm just trying to pass on what Jesus asked to pass on because he commanded us to teach people everything that he taught us. He's, he's commanded us in the Great Commission to evangelize, to make disciples, but to teach them everything. We can't leave out anything. We have to include it all. I think what's what's really great about the book uh, is you're continually re you continually return to the spiritual dimension of everything. You know, you, you tell us we can't get the perfect statistical analysis of the problems that we're facing, or get the right sort of um, consultant group to come in and 
and fix the different problems, whether that's in, in, in an institution like a seminary or with vocations, um, that it, it, there is a spiritual dimension to that, that we don't see, but that we need to see. And we need the eyes to see the spiritual dimension of what's going on. Yeah. Um, and when we, when we do that, what we, what we see, and you point this out, is that this, is, this has been going on since the book of Genesis, that we are, yeah. we, we are so easily deceived in our own minds about what the reality is, uh, and what is good and what is evil, and that that just never goes away. Um, the, the genesis of the of, of this book, you know, you described or of your ministry with crisis in truth. That like you know, a lot of those problems we thought were gone, and, and now here they are back again. I'm reminded of uh, Archbishop Fulton Sheen's got a book called Old Vices, New Labels, um, and uh-huh. you know that's that's what that's what we see. These same problems are coming back because they're ultimately spiritual, and if we don't put mm-hmm. Our spiritual resources into if we don't deploy those if we're not you know actively praying and and studying the word of mm-hmm. God and you know uh, receiving the sacraments and especially you call for the the movement of the Holy Spirit yes. in the lives of all Catholics whether that's the the the, the lay p- faithful or people in the clergy and I really appreciate how you you point out that lay people are going to have a role in in solving this crisis too like yourself right you know um, it's not just we can't just point the finger at the bishops and we've got a good one here we don't have to point a finger at them but um, we can't just point fingers at people we have to deeply invest ourselves in being part of the solution yeah. um, and and that's just that's really refreshing because I I read a lot of stuff. Uh, I have a PhD, and so I'm just constantly reading things. That's what that, it does that to you. And I, I see a lot of pessimism, <laughs> but I rarely see people writing with with an, an angle of hope uh, and a solution. That, that and that this so in in a lot of ways, the second half of this book I thought was was tremendous because you point out ways forward, um, and and it's just really great. So thank you for that. Well, Doctor Luke, what, you yeah, you on. are a good reader. <laughs> Thanks. Oh, I, I tell you, my favorite footnote in the in the book was when you quoted Hulk Hogan. <laughs> I don't know if you remember that footnote very well, but it, and that one, I circled it. <laughs> footnote 473, for those of you playing the at-home game. Uh. <laughs> what I started to say in, in commenting on what Dr. Lou says is, and I, this is probably a, a basic theme, at my ordination as a bishop, the hymn, Joyful, Joyful, We Adore You, was the opening hymn. And joy, Christ says, I came that your joy may be full. Right, your, your book is pointing us, pointing out where we are losing that joy if we ignore the fullness of Jesus Christ and his whole teaching, his whole body. We can't just leave out, especially, I think we would all agree, there's a real tendency to leave out the cross. And if you leave out the cross, then that is not the whole Jesus. And, uh, but I think we need to remember that he came that our joy may be full. We get to that joy. The joy of, of having a good life means you sacrifice, you, you share with others. You don't just always get exactly what you want. And that's, you know, one of the issues is the breakdown of family. That's where we're supposed to learn all of this. And without families, mm. people are literally lost in, in the wilderness. Yeah. Well, people sometimes ask me, Ralph, are you discouraged? You know, because I, I do know a lot of the junk going on. I'm, you know, I know a lot of people. 
And uh, I tell him I'm not discouraged at all. I'm excited because the Lord is about to do something. He's purifying the church. He's exposing the, the rot yeah. that's there. It is for the purpose of purifying a remnant and also judging those who refuse to repent. I mean, I've been reading the prophets lately, and it's, it's absolutely shocking when God's people refuse to repent, the, the consequences, you know, the, the punishment, the, yep. the judgment, you know, and, and, and uh, I think we have a chance here. We have a window here to lessen the chastisement, to lessen the punishment, but we have to repent, not just as individuals, but as a people. We have to, as a church, kind of say, forgive us, Lord, for, for not being faithful to what you've asked us to do. And we had some really encouraging things here in the Archdiocese of Detroit. Uh, Archbishop Vigneron uh, had a very solemn liturgy of repentance. You know, he's trying to focus the whole Archdiocese on new evangelization, but he knew that we had to confess our sins before God. Like repentance yeah. has to precede renewal. And so he had a very honest uh, litany of, of contrition and repentance. He, he actually repented for the false teaching that we've allowed to happen here in the archdiocese and not giving people the solid food of the gospel and a lot of other things as well. The, the, the thought that comes to my mind, though, is when John the Baptist saw people repenting, he said, bear the fruits of repenting. So I'm hoping that this is not just a liturgical act right. that we forget, yeah. but that we actually build a lifestyle of repentance, a lifestyle of fidelity more and more into the archdiocese, which a lot of people are working very hard to do. I like that you brought in, in chapter 13, you, you spoke of Jesus, you know, in his earthly ministry, he was a priest, and, and, he, and he was a king in a certain sense, but he's more those in eternity. In his earthly ministry, he, he functioned mostly as a prophet, and that zeal was constitutive of his identity in such a profound way that we need to capture, recapture that zeal for the holiness of God, um, for, the, yeah. for the church, for the faith. Um, was that was just really fantastic insight um, on 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 how how Jesus operates and sort of a, he's he's obsessed with the salvation of people. You know there are other things mm -hmm. going on around him, but what he comes back to again and again and again is you know what is the choice you're going to make? Are you going to follow me or or not? Right. Um, and right. I, I I really loved that. I was I was really glad I was able to get all the way through the book before we did the interview because if had I missed on that, that's that's would have been tragic because it's it's really a, a great point yeah the last chapter is called the inexhaustible riches of christ and uh it also talks about how the primary way in which people perceive jesus during his earthly ministry before his great priestly act of his sacrifice on the cross and his kingly manifestation when he returns in glory the primary way in which they identified him was a prophet. When Jesus asked the disciples, who do people who say, do I, say am? I am? Mm -hmm. Jeremiah, John the Baptist, Elijah. And then Jesus actually self-identifies as a prophet when he talks about his native town not having mm -hmm. enough faith to see miracles. He says, a prophet is with honor except in his own place. So he, he identifies himself as a prophet. And when he was cleansing the temple, zeal for his house consumes him, you know, type of thing, like, which, which is the, the motto of the Carmelites and Elijah and Mount Carmel and mm -hmm. all that, you know. And one of the chapters is called Stop Straddling the Issue. A lot of Catholics are, have one foot in the world and one foot in the church, and it's mm -hmm. like a lukewarm, undynamic Catholicism, and it's boring and dull and nobody's attracted to it. 
So we got to get people to stop straddling the issue. They got to make a choice. And just like Dr. Luke said, almost every time that Jesus is speaking to, he's asking him for a response. He's asking for a choice. He's asking for faith. He's asking for repentance. And what I'm reminded of, it's an insight that I've shared here in Tyler, um, because all of us get tired of the darkness and tired of the crisis, and we're looking for hope, and the hope is there. And what, what really struck me, um, thinking especially about St. Paul, he didn't even meet the Jesus who walked this earth. He had right. a, a profound encounter with him, absolutely, but he didn't meet him as the other apostles did. And, and I think we need to listen to Paul as a man who believed but did not see him. I mean, what, like yeah. Christ says, blessed are those who believed but did not see. Mm-hmm. And Paul yeah. is one of those. Yes, I mean, yeah. I, I envy him for that, that profound encounter that transformed his life. Right. But from what Paul shares, he didn't have other apparitions of Christ. He was fed by that encounter. Talk about zeal. Yeah. If you read Paul's writings, we've quoted him a lot with him saying, you do these things, you're not going to heaven, buddy. And that's the way St. Paul talks in first century yes. clarity. Yep. And I think we mm-hmm. need to remember with all that's collapsing around us, I mean, as, as that image of Notre Dame, that beautiful cathedral is burning, and we can feel like everything's collapsing. We have Jesus as much as Paul and Peter and everyone Amen. in the first century. They had Jesus. They didn't have a New Testament. They didn't have these developed sacraments that we have. They didn't have a magisterium guiding them. They didn't have wonderful popes to inspire and saints. I mean, that's why they focused on the saints and the early martyrs, because that was echoing and supporting them. And, and we have to acknowledge, this occurs to me just as I'm speaking, there were a lot of apostates in that time. There were a lot of people who left the faith because it was tough. Mm-hmm. But those who stayed had Jesus. Amen. They had Jesus, as they love to say here in East Texas, as their personal Lord and Savior. <laughs> I've that's, always that's told so. the Catholics in our community, we're in the minority here in East Texas, we need to absolutely right. say Yes, he's our personal Lord and Savior. I receive him in the Eucharist at Mass. He is in the Word of God. He is present in all the sacraments. But I think we need to remember when we enter the darkness and when it feels like it's overcoming us, we need to remember we have Jesus, just like the first century Christians. He is our strength. Deepen your, your relationship with him. He's the light of the world. And he will guide Amen. us through this darkness. Amen. 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 Preach it, brother. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, like you said, blessed are those who believe without seeing. But how do people believe? Faith comes through, through hearing. hearing. And hearing and if by Jesus the word of God. Jesus is not yeah. proclaimed with confidence, with authority, with passion, who's going to believe? Yeah. And that's why we need to have a, we need to re- release the Holy Spirit, release, unleash the gospel. And, really boldly proclaim Jesus as Lord and Savior. You know, uh, yeah, and and so I hope that this book, and I hope that people like you, we could kind of get something going here, you know? You know, get get our our uprising going, you know, with the Word of God, with with Jesus. Absolutely. And face the tough things first. 
Mm. If it's tough to look, to read, that's what we need to read. And we move the brackets. The tough part of Christ is yeah, his joy. Take the brackets his away. What the whole? <laughs> yeah. And let's hear Romans one. Notice you never hear Romans one. Right. <laughs> yeah. We hear it from you, but how often do you hear it preached? Yeah. yeah. Could I tell people how to get the book? Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Please, please. Yes. They need it. Okay. I, I I really like the cover. As you know, was I? I'm actually a consultant for the Bishop Subcommittee on the Catechism, and I, I go to meetings and things like that, you know, by Zoom now. But uh, right after we chose this as the cover, uh, somebody who works the Bishop's Conference pretty high up said, you know what, church is burning. So I think a lot of people are feeling it. A lot of people are almost kind of trying to head off panic and discouragement and despair. But anyway, the way you can get this is by going to renewalministries.net. That's our website, all one word, renewalministries.net. Or you can get it at a Catholic bookstore. You can get it on Amazon.com. It's, it's widely available. But uh, consider giving a copy to your priest or bishop <laughs> yeah. or your deacon. Yes, yes. <laughs> and other things at Renewal Ministry. Ralph, you've been putting out for years these little booklets that I think are so helpful to people. I'm holding one called The, the Final Confrontation. I've given this yeah. one away to a lot of people. It's 2015. Uh, but Renewal Ministries is a great resource, and I know I've mentioned to you off-camera that my wife, Lorraine, loves it. She's always giving me stuff from you or YouTube videos. And, Ralph, I failed to mention that you are actually a professor of theology. Why don't you share at Sacred Heart Seminary, right? And, and particularly yeah. on the new evangelization. Tell us about that. <clears throat> yeah, I, I, um, I teach courses on the theology of the new evangelization where all these truth issues are coming up. You know, we're talking about the, what the gospel really is, you know, what the consequences of not accepting the gospel. You know, it's, it's like a truth issue kind of course. I'm just finishing up. We have two more weeks after Thanksgiving. And then I also teach a course called Models of Evangelization, which goes through Catholic history about different ways in which evangelization has happened, mainly through the saints. And I teach another course called Stages of Spiritual Growth. I do this mainly for uh, transitional deacons and priests. Uh, I have all the transitional deacons each year in my class, so that's really a great opportunity to kind of fortify them for their mission. And then uh, we have an STL program for priests uh, in the new evangelization, and I teach some of the core courses in that. We have priests from all over the world. They come for five weeks in the summer to Detroit, and then they take an online course uh, each semester. This summer they couldn't come because of COVID, but... We had this fantastic Zoom class, you know, priest in Africa, priest, two priests in Peru, priests all over the place. And we really connected with the Lord and with each other. It's, it, it's very refreshing for the priests. It really renews them, too, you know. Great. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining us and for also sending us copies of the book so we could get a chance to read it. Um, really a blessing to have you here, uh, and, and hopefully we can have you here in Tyler at some point. would love to do it. That'd be great. Thank you for having me. Thank yeah, you for all, all three of you, what you're doing, <laughs> and the great team that you are. Thank you. you know, God bless you, Ralph. Bishop, deacon, and layperson. Good, good team. <laughs> yeah, the church. Bishop, if you want to close us with a blessing. Sure. The Lord be with you. And with, with, your your spirit. Spirit. with your spirit. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son, the light of the world, the light of our lives. Help us to joyfully share his truth the fullness of that truth that yes. sets us free from the darkness that encroaches in our lives through sin and brokenness. 
help those who listen to this podcast to turn to this book and turn to a spirit of renewal in your light and grace. May the Blessed Virgin Mary intercede for us constantly. And we ask this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you, Ralph Martin.